Trumanitarian. Welcome to Trumanitarian. I'm your host, Lars Peter Nissen. Simulations, serious games and gamification is something I passionately believe in and think can have a significant impact on the way we work with humanitarian crises. I've done quite a bit of simulations in my previous roles, and not to brag, but I am actually a founding member of the shadow cabinet of Subumba, a very powerful organization that you may not have heard about. But that just shows you how powerful we are. On a serious note, crises are different from everyday life. Different rules apply, and you have to think and walk and talk differently. When you're in a teaching or training situation and you sit comfortably in your chair behind your desk, It's very easy to agree on policies and procedures. The way we behave when we're in the middle of a stressful situation is very different. Games can help us bridge the gap between how we think we work, how we actually work, and it can bring us insights on how we get closer to working the way we should be. So I was extremely happy to bump into Tom Fisher and his company Imaginetic at the Humanitarian Networks and Partnership Week in Geneva. Tom runs a fascinating company developing serious games for anybody from the World Bank, HCR and the military. We had a great conversation about the ins and out of gaming. To be honest, you may find this episode a bit too geeky. But I hope you'll forgive Tom and me for this and that you'll continue listening. There are some real lessons to learn from his experience of being a humanitarian dungeon master. Trumanitarian is produced by volunteers, and if you are in a generous mood, there is a PayPal link on our website, and we appreciate every donation we get. You can also help us out by following us, make noise on social media, recommend the show to your friends, you know the drill. However, as always, the most important thing is that you listen and think about what you hear on the show. Enjoy the conversation. Tom Fisher, welcome to Trumanitarian. Thank you very much, Lars. You know, I feel 13, 14 again, back with the Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have a PlayStation, but, uh, you know, those dices with many sides, that, that's where my mind is right now. We, we are speaking the same language then. Exactly. And that's because I was walking around here in the conference center in Geneva, where the Humanitarian Networks and Partnership Week is taking place, and I stepped into this game shop. Well, it wasn't quite Dungeons and Dragons. It was, I guess, uh, trucks and floods or something. It was <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was realism and reality, maybe. That's exactly <laughs> a whole board, a whole bunch of board games about humanitarian stuff, and you work with something called Imaginetic. Yes, exactly. What is that? Uh, that's my company that originally started in 1996. Uh, in a rather different direction, and then flowed into the serious game world in about 2005 when I started doing work with uh, the World Bank. Uh, got involved in training for anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, dealing with all of this donor money that was coming uh, into uh, some African countries to help their uh, their police forces manage that. And through that, snowballed into other games dealing with humanitarian aid and disaster relief, crisis management, uh, war gaming involving NATO. So we've we've got quite a a wide library now. Tell me about these games you developed. They're board games. Uh, Give us a couple of examples of what, what you actually have developed for humanitarian organizations. Absolutely. 
Uh, one in particular is something that we've developed for UNHCR to uh, help them with their supply group. And we call the game Supply and Emergency and working very closely with them develop this whole scenario that runs over five days, well, six days, because we have an introductory day that runs over five days, each day representing a, a full week of time in the, in the DRC, dealing with the surprises, complications, customs issues, transport, horrible roads, getting goods out from outside the country in and then distributing to them to the actual camps. And in that we model the camps themselves as well as each team that's playing, because we'll often play with multiple teams, has a family assigned to them. Humanizing it very much because whatever the teams do, this will directly affect their families in terms of physical health, mental health and, and security. And so this is a board game with little trucks being moved around and stuff. Exactly. It is exactly that. So there's a representation so that you're delivering crates of goods in a very literal sense, and they have to handle the warehousing. And even in when we're playing live, we've been playing online because of uh, because of COVID. But when you're playing live, we actually have a, a warehouse that is set up where they're piling blocks one on top of the other to manage their warehouse and it's well good luck to you if you've placed your fundamental goods at the bottom of that pile because you didn't manage your warehouse properly and, it, and it's funny but it really brings out that kind of that kind of thinking and all the way through to putting things on a truck all the way through to landing a plane and figuring how much stuff you can fit into a plane uh, and also interestingly enough as we have taught people both in playtest and actual playing, what kind of plane can land at different airports, which is not always immediately obvious to to people, especially who are new to the uh, new to the endeavor. And so we will turn it into a joke with them when they try to bring a seven forty seven into Bunia Airport, and then we'll say, "Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So how are you going to take off again? <laughs> Landing is not a problem." Taking off is a big problem, um, but that's it. And that, and we have fun with it, and it becomes very engaging. And it's you know the the learning process is real. It's stressful, but terrific. But terrific. At the end, it at the end, it's all smiles, and people sort of walk away with that. Okay, okay, I, I I've got a handle on this. With you know, which is really fulfilling as a as a designer, from from our point of view. And what's your own background? Did you sort of graduate from a level whatever wizard in Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> to, to, to this? Or have you actually worked uh, operationally as well? In the humanitarian field, no, not directly. Uh, my background comes from electrical engineering way back when. Uh, switched out of that I was as I was looking for something more human following something of a family tragedy. And that's how I got into special education to really be into that in touch with with people and there started using a lot of role play and a lot of games that I've been a hobby gamer since I was 10 years old in 1979 and using that with the kids and the young adults to really you know teach them about life 
more, more than anything. And through role play, they were able to very safely explore what they could do with a cashier, taking the bus. And in this way, they were able to <clears throat> develop very quickly the skills that they'd need outside of the safe classroom. And any failures that happened inside the classroom were beautiful, perfect lessons in a safe space. And then we projected that to developing games for the World Bank, where very similarly have training games or even analytic games in a very safe space. So you get to very much feel and play the role that you might in uh, real world scenarios. And my, my mantra to students is, I wish you failure. Mm. I hope they fail in the game so they do not fail in the real world. So they're prepared for, for that because failure in a game means that a peon, a bonum, a card is lost in the real world, far different circumstances. So better a piece of paper. That really resonates with me and, and my experience. I, I remember once doing a training course in Hong Kong for Hong Kong Red Cross, where we were talking about the different parts of, of the Red Cross movement and, and the class was very silent. Half the class basically didn't speak. Then we simulated an earthquake and handed out a few uniforms and these guys went bonkers. We had so much fun and you could suddenly see who people were and how much they could bring to the field. It was such an emancipating experience actually and I, I've seen that uh, on a number of occasions in, in different training settings so I'm fully with you that that serious gaming is, is something that probably we don't utilize enough in the humanitarian sector and it would be great to sort of unpack what it can do for us what it can't do for us but maybe let's begin with what's the difference between developing a game for some kids who have to learn to go about the world and then engaging with a humanitarian agency with 15,000 employees. Right. Um, you know, as far as approach, they're actually, and it's going to sound strange, fairly similar. And it is because at the very core, what you're doing is engaging with the individual. And what happens during a game is when you get that engagement, and it's that magic moment when a game is done well, that you are connecting someone not only logically, but intuitively and hopefully emotionally, that the real learning and the real person comes out. So in that way, very similar. Now, the stakes are obviously quite different. And fundamentally, the research that goes in is very different. Because if one, well, I will say this, the best way to learn about something is to create a game about it. Uh, I will tell you that certainly in terms of developing the, the algorithms in the background, making sure to get it right, because it's, it's too easy to get it wrong. So to properly serve your sponsor, you'd better get it right, which is a lot of research, interview, uh, taking in as much information as you, as you can. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting, getting them so excited in the moment that they're no different from that 13-year-old who's swinging their fictional sword or 
that person who's playing a humanitarian aid worker in a disaster scenario and really fundamentally empathizes with that representation on the board of this is a person and that representation of if you take this away off the board, you take the figure off the board, it hits hard. Like people really get that involved and that, and that's when you know you've, you've done the job right because it's that emotional connection that they start to, to make. So how do you get people into that bubble? What, what are the techniques for getting them in there? Because sometimes you have really, really important people who, who wear ties and suits and they don't like rolling with dices, at least not to begin with, right? So how do you break that? How do you get them into the bubble? A, a big piece is know your audience. Fundamentally, whenever I start a serious game design project, it always starts with a, a very lengthy design brief process that I will do that both involves research and finding out what the sponsor really wants. And, and from there, determining who the audience is, because I will tailor the game to make sure that I am really hitting the audience that we want. And then most people, not all, but most people, so long as you give them an engaging narrative that matches with their expectation of reality, even if you change it and shape it with different injects and surprises for them, that they will become very, very, very engaged. So we'll have, in a, in a very little literal way, five-star generals who are really getting into this uh, and playing, you know, far lower levels, you know, both as from an appreciation point of view of what the corporal has to go through. And because you shape the narrative, so it resonates. And it's the when you get that aha moment for the for the player and, and they're nodding and they say, oh, yeah, I've lived through this and they start making those connections. They are yours. They are yours. And you once again, you know that you have delivered that experience because at the end, a game and or serious play is all about that experiential engagement factor. We're creating an experience uh, that is similar to a movie, similar to a great novel, but that occurs in, in the mind. So, you know, you also want to have the, uh, the abilities of a good, compelling storyteller in, uh, in creating this. So I've worked with sort of two different kinds of scenarios. Sometimes we do a Floxonia or a Subumba or right. some kind of fictitious place, right? And sometimes we do Albania or Mozambique or right. a concrete actual country and we build the baseline up on that country's baseline. And so when you say it has to be relatable, it has to be a credible scenario, what are the advantages of going sort of... Uh, Harry Potter versus more the real right. world. <laughs> we, we'll often use fictional worlds or fictional places to remain politically neutral. Uh, 
so for example, uh, in our Aftershock game, that is something that we will use the, the country of Karana. And this is something that the World Bank has used and some of the UN has used as their fictional country and the capital city of Galassi. So this way, we're not necessarily either triggering people or pointing specific things out because we do get into some, you know, hard and dirty facts about inefficiencies, what works well, what might not work well. If we're talking about things like corruption, then, uh, you know, it does not necessarily serve well to uh, point the finger. Now, doing work for the State Department or doing work for Global Affairs Canada, the Ministry of Defense, when it is internal, then it's full on reality. Then it's then we're dealing with the the X's and O's that are on the the world map. In terms of effect, certainly when it's real world, you are able to um, harness people's previous knowledge. But here's the asterisk. Here is the big asterisk in, in these terms is part of the great power of games is to be able to challenge assumptions. And if you present someone with a real scenario, for example, we, we developed something called ISIS crisis dealing with, with Iraq and the various, uh, the various factions within and without. Now, when we have professionals who are playing this and know about the politics of the region, that's one thing. But the assumptions that come in as to how various countries on the outside of Iraq would react, um, you know, for example, you know, what, what Iranian policy would be, what Jordanian policy would be, how Turkey would react to certain things. Uh, unless one is well, really well versed, it is too easy to allow for assumptions to come in that will be completely off base. Yeah, my experience has been that it is from 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 a training perspective. I have a preference also for the the subumbas of the world because on one side, what you say, it, it's it's borderline impossible to actually develop a scenario that's deep enough to to really. Uh, really accommodate for all the the stuff happening and and it's it's harder to make stuff up when you're dealing with the real world but i would say even more importantly what what i've seen happen when we use a real country is that half the audience has been there mm -hmm. they were there and that's not how it was and it totally kills the play aspect of it and people start fighting about yeah, but you didn't uh, take me on that trip or that we should have done this instead of that. Or, and it's just like the game is gone. Yeah, and you know what? And you, you really hit the nail on the head right there. And the, the key word is engagement and suspension of disbelief. Yes. And, and, and this is why Dungeons and Dragons works well for that 13-year-old boy or girl who gets so into it that they... They start drawing their characters all the time. Same thing in serious games. And again, this is why they're not that different. They they read, they really are because it's that emotional engagement. And it's the too easy to make certain assumptions, too easy to 
get snapped out of that suspension of disbelief if something does not match with an experience that people had. If something does not match, you know, in certain cases with the way that a, uh, a player might expect or desire things to go because it fits with their worldview and what they want. Uh, when we quite well, we know from experience that nothing ever goes to plan. It is fundamental to plan, but there has yet to be a plan in the world that has ever gone off perfectly as far as I know. And once you have lost a player with that engagement and them being truly in the game, it takes a very strong facilitator to guide them back in. So it's certainly doable, but that's when you need a, a, a facilitator with some chops and some and some experience behind them. Yeah, it's it's all well and good as long as we uh, we get people into the bubble somehow we suspend disbelief as you say and and they move on but but I've I've seen it happen and especially because it is such an emotional thing that people really get into it that as you say people fall out either because they go this is not realistic or the way you played that local emergency management guy that was offensive I can I can this is not okay. Uh, I once played the role as a rather peculiar bishop. There was uh, a couple of people who had issue with that and making fun of their religion, which which wasn't the attempt. So you can actually right. really upset people. And so how do you deal with the, with the power, in a sense, that you have mm -hmm. uh, when you play a game? How, how do you pick the people that fall? You really have to know the audience doing one's research, and then a lot in-game when the game is running. And again, very much depending on the size of the game. This could be a two-hour game or a two-week game. You know, facilit game facilitation in and of itself is a skill set that, strangely enough, 13-year-olds who Dungeon Master will understand, and it's almost one needs a course on Dungeon Mastering. And I know how strange that sounds, but it, Not at all. It's, it's a very particular and specific skill set because you have to keep that engagement going. Uh, and it's a matter of drawing them, drawing them back. Uh, with experience, you get to read people and understand what makes them tick. Sometimes you have to discuss with them. If it gets truly bad, discuss with them and, you know, remind them that this is a simulation and that this is not necessarily going to be true to what it was, but remind them that you need them and to have faith in the process. Um, but that's when it's truly far gone usually by engaging them in different ways or creating injects on the fly that engage them and their expectations in a little bit more of a direct way. Sometimes we're dealing with egos that may be bruised. And sometimes people would like a spotlight on them for a little bit, for a, for a couple of minutes, or they want the spotlight off, quite frankly, to, to give them a, a bit of a break. So it really is a, a read of the room and having, you know, 
facilitation and workshopping techniques in your back pocket that you can pull out. Having a team of facilitators also helps to, to that effect. Again, depending on the size of the uh, of the game itself, so that you have support in order to do that. Because you know, just as much as we might be dealing with large egos, we could be dealing with people who are very shy, and you and you want them to participate and get their ideas out. And so, easing them through the process and and guiding them, where you're very much a coach, and you're you are. You know, as a facilitator of a serious game, I see my job as twofold, creating a great compelling narrative and pulling the best out of the people that are there. And so you're balancing those those two pieces to really get that that engagement. So, so far we've been talking about uh, the experience that the individual player in the game has. And and I think it's clear from what we talked about that this can be an incredibly powerful way of experiencing things that actually you don't really want to experience, but that you may. Right. right? It, it's a way of simulating some of the dangerous situations, some of the ambiguous situations that we end up in without anybody dying or getting hurt. Exactly. I think it can enhance people's tolerance for ambiguity and mm-hmm. really built that muscle memory of what it's like when you lose control. And it, it can be a, a fantastic way of training, for example, teams we deploy sort of first response to to your earthquakes or Absolutely. whatever. Absolutely. Now, there's a different aspect to games also, and that's the the control side of it. So mm. the out of the problem. Right. And what I've seen in a couple of large exercises we have is how all of the worst sides of the system replicate themselves <laughs> in, in exercise control. How all of the axes that are to be grinded, uh, you know, they, it happens in, in exercise control. And I've actually seen simulations where the managing exercise control is more complex than the, the training audience. Right. How, how, how do we look to you as the humanitarian sector when you come in and, and see how we conduct the gaming? So forget about the bubble. Right. Look at what's outside. Yeah, it's certainly something that, and again, because game facilitation is its real own particular set of skills and, as you say, balancing egos that can sometimes be large. I uh, Dare I say even unruly sometimes in that, well, this is just the way things happen because guess what? I'm in charge, so this is just the way things happen. And it can be very difficult to manage, especially if they inject themselves as control. But much like player management, control team management, knowing as best you can who the control team are, and ideally you get to handpick them. In most scenarios, well, you can't. Um, but sometimes it is the sort of thing where when we're dealing with a sponsor, we will very much handle running the game and we will have the sponsor provide subject matter expertise. So let me handle the narrative and allow the others to give me the check and balance of whether or not institutionally this is something that would normally happen 
and take that advice in that form. So that can be a bit of a mitigation. When you get into the scenario where the sponsor demands to be right in the in the middle of it, then um, how, how <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think how to how to how to best say this. Let's let's put it this way. Sometimes it is like hurting kittens where you grab one and another one goes squirting off somewhere. But that's that's part of the skill set that you need uh, to to keep them managed. And also, I think it's it's about managing their expectations. So making sure to meet with them, have proper preparatory sessions so they're not surprised, because I find that situation happens more when they're surprised by something. And it's the well, and, you know, the. the, the hands on the hips and they're they're saying, well, that would never happen. So if you can walk them through it beforehand and get their input as to how do you see this happening in your organization and we would like to play it this way, does that sound suitable to you? Then you can smooth over a lot of those, uh, a lot of those ripples ahead of time. But uh, it, it's as any human endeavor, you're managing egos, you're managing hurt feelings. And because it's so engaging, you will end up with hurt feelings. You know, we've had we've had people in tears because they've been arrested by a fake police. And, you know, it, it gets that very now at that point. You also have to be very careful uh, to not trigger certain uh, uh, emotional responses from people. What's some of the best experiences you've seen with game? What what? Talk about a time when you saw an organization really use gaming effectively to to learn and build a stronger team. Definitely the traveling with the World Bank and going to various African and Asian countries and seeing at a certain point you see the light bulb go off. And then you know. Or people will come up to you and the massive thank you, where they they turn around and said, "I never, I never realized," and it's opening up that new those new pathways of thinking. Um, you know, games are very good at teaching lateral thinking. You know, as you were alluding to before, and the yes, I know what this to do in this scenario. I know what to do in this scenario. The next scenario is going to be different, but now I have a better capacity to be able to uh, to be able to do the uh, the shift. Uh, one in particular was uh, nursing training and dealing with the uh, dealing with the pandemic and really giving an appreciation less to the nurses but to the doctors of everything that the nurses go through. And that eye opener, and uh, you know, even as you were alluding, the where the control team themselves seeing everything develop, and they they understand more the frontline worker, especially if they haven't come up through the through the ranks of being on the front line and getting that appreciation. Um, we're delivering training at the. Uh, Montreal uh, Genocide uh, Center and the eye-opening of what was going on 
in the Middle East around around that as they were uh, instructing university students, and it's the oh with the with the with the big saucer eyes and the and the realization and having been in the shoes of an internally displaced person and everything that they had to go through that it's transmitting that and especially on an emotional level where they just get it and uh, you know that that's the most fulfilling do you psychologically debrief people afterwards oh, debrief There's no sense in running a game, as far as I'm concerned, if there is not a debrief. Debrief is a fundamental part of the learning because games being the powerful mechanism that they are, because they really target, you know, heart, soul, and mind. They really, really do. That if you do not debrief, there is a horrible danger of teaching exactly the wrong lessons. Because you you don't know exactly what people are walking away with. You have an impression. You have what you've built to point them in a direction. But until you discuss with them, you don't exactly know. So debrief is absolutely a fundamental piece of this. And the, you know, both from a logical standpoint, an operational standpoint in terms of did you follow procedures, did you not, or does this procedure make sense? But from a psychological basis of, you know, having the honest discussion, one of the games that we have for one of the UN agencies, it is their last training experience before deployment. We will find out right then and there if they're actually ready to, uh, if they're actually ready to go, because Uh, let's to be honest if you can't handle the stress when it's on a map in front of you and we're communicating over zoom you're really not going to like the smell when you get to uh, when you get to the camps and the open latrines and and everything so you know i i cannot say fundamental enough that you must have debrief otherwise you're only getting 10% of what you uh, of what you need And do you actually have like um, psychologists stand by if, if somebody? I've seen it when we do, for example, simulation of, of hostage taking or, or some of the heat training that that we do. Right, it, you never know what people have experienced before. Right, and you can um, really trigger some 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 heavy response. That's it. In in most of what we do, not necessary. But as you say, if if we're getting into the heavy duty stuff then we'll have support. Now, whether that is internal HR to make sure and then to be able to point them in a, in a direction. Because as you say, when when you get the correct level of engagement, you're feeling what you would normally be feeling in the in the field or as close as possible to it. So it can have triggering effects. Um, it can be also somewhat sometimes cathartic and liberating and i'm thinking of a particular uh, a particular simulation uh, that uh, that is run and one of the participants was a victim where the secret police had murdered their entire family and but specifically wanted to play a role where they would be put up against the secret police 
because for them, this was their, their stand up and be strong moment. This was, this was their ability to work through it. So as it may be triggering for some, it may be an absolute release for others. But again, that's why it's so important to know your audience because we're, we're not here to cause trauma. We're here to make sure the trauma doesn't happen uh, down the down the road. So one must be sensitive. What are some of the worst practices you've seen in terms of how institutions use gaming? What are some of the not-tos? Sponsors who are using nefarious gaming to push a particular agenda. That happens more often than one would think. Sponsors who use a game at the very end of a training with no debrief, like the like the cherry on the uh, the cherry on the cake, to say, "Oh, look, here's our fun adventure." Well, you, you, you may as well have just had a pizza party because you're 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 pay, you're paying for nothing if you're doing that, and you might be doing uh, doing some harm. Uh, you know, much as I very much encourage new people into the business. My team is very diverse and tends toward being very young. They need proper guidance because again, because it's a medium that is so powerful, you can very easily teach the wrong lesson. And I've seen certain people and I, I think they go in with good intent, But they develop these games and I just shake my head and say, my Lord, well, you understand that you think you're teaching A, but you're teaching Z uh, when people walk out of this. So uh, the nefarious sponsor, the cherry on top of the of the cake and the 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 misguided idealist, hopefully, because uh, I don't think people are necessarily nefarious, that they're just dangers uh really and you know we we see this often in large institutions that deal with leading large numbers of people where a lot of money is involved where purposefully or not certain agendas are being driven and they want these to be driven in in the games and that's just you know problematic Let's let's put it that way. And you know, for us, we we walk away. We walk away because uh, you know I I wouldn't be able to live with myself or sleep at night if if we were going along along that route. And there's an, a large number of uh, of academic studies on this. Uh, one in particular is by Stephen Downs Martin, who was with the uh, uh, the uh, Navy War College in the United States, and. It, exactly about this and the prevalence and how to deal with and that's it being a private organization very easy for me because then I, I just walk away because it's not for me if we look at the humanitarian sector what would you wish we did differently with gaming how would you how would you hope that we could use this tool i think as you know n- not just the idea of training but the idea of using it to test what if scenarios, you know, and running short games, micro games, uh, as, as, as I would put it, um, matrix games, which are a specific type of game that are very easy to put together in an afternoon to be able to sit down and say, 
let's let's go through our what if and rather than a brainstorming session or some kind of planning meeting let's actually move things around a map and and plan this way make it make it dynamic so this the situation is coming at you from every which direction as it would in a uh, in a humanitarian situation uh i think that and then really emphasizing uh, gaming or serious gaming as a test bed following any kind of training or any kind of lecture. I know there's a big push toward micro training in the industry, which I personally am against because I don't think it gives a holistic picture. However, if you combine micro training with games that then provide a larger picture, then I could see how things could mesh because it, it can't be about one single scenario when you're learning about one single small thing because there is nothing more complicated than a humanitarian scenario when you're dealing with, when you have to deal with the militia to get through to the camps to deliver aid, you have to deal with the government in order to deliver aid and bring goods into the country and balancing just those two pieces before we've even gotten to condition of roads and whether or not you may have to pay people off to cross areas or to get things into a country, uh, that all of these complexities is something that you need to have the big picture vision of. Otherwise, you know, you'll have that mental block when it when it comes to you. And unless you you are partnered with somebody who has experience, you'll be stuck. Now, I don't I don't see it any other way. Tom, thank you for reducing us all to 13 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great uh, addition to the humanitarian toolbox to be able to play some games sometimes to uh, to get out of the box, so to speak, and and really allow yourself to feel free enough to to experiment with extreme situations it's the serious gaming is exactly the way to put that i think uh, i think what you do is really fantastic and we've already spoken about how you can help us in acaps gamify some of our processes and support uh, some of our training and i really look forward to that so thank you for that and thank you for coming on true military thank you so much and and again you put it eloquently and just right this is a tool it's not the be all end all but it's a really great tool to have in your toolkit so Thank you, Lars, and look, looking forward to working together. It's about the rights and the freedom to be, for people to choose their path in life and dream. Souls of men beyond what you see. Stages are different for each who will lead. Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks, fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets. Ask better questions, pick apart, educate. And no one is safe, we're here to build and debate. We are, we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond rich or poor for the truth. You've been warned. Humanitarian. <laughs>